Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, pro marathoner Lindsay Flanagan discusses her PR marathon by effort. And in the world of running Diamond League, Oslo, and Paris, and more. Remember that we are featuring listener questions next week on air. And so if you have not yet submitted a question and you want to try to catch an episode soon, submit one by going to a to com slash questions. And when you do that, we'll feature you by your question and answer it on the episode. Perhaps, yes. And we love connecting with you in a variety of ways. And this week we have a special treat. We have a video from listener George. Good morning, Andy and Zach. This is George checking in from England. I am at the Ipswich Park Run via suggestion of Zach that while in the UK to check out the park runs. I've never done one. I had a lovely run with Jack here Hello. who took me through the course very smoothly. It's a rough one. He had a nice, nice use of the downhills in the last mile there and, and got a nice gap. And I coasted it in for a second knowing that I am just totally done from the work of the week and not sleeping much, but really great to do this while traveling so thank you andy and zach for the suggestion to check out the park runs while in the uk thanks for sharing george park run is loads of fun and mm -hmm. you know when you can get into a new place and still find opportunities to connect with running and runners just happens to be one of those things that people do everywhere. Yes, yes. And actually, specifically in the UK, Jarek, who helped us with our article about GPS running, you may ha you may be familiar with him from that. Anyway, uh, he had recommended park runs too, specifically in the UK, that they have a vibrant scene for park run there. So thanks to Jarek. Nice work. Upcoming, we have Johnny's Race in Michigan on June 24th. And I did want to mention, because a few of you had reached out after we posted about the flip belt, we do have a discount for that. And we love to make sure we share discount codes with you. And that's A to Z running 20, A-T-O-Z running 20. And the flip belt is a really great tool to use if you need to have things with you on the run, such as nutrition or bottles, or maybe you need your cell phone, like you need your wife to be able to get a hold of you. So. <laughs> it actually shows Zach putting his. Big I don't think Andy's in. ever tried to get a hold of me while I was running. I mean, but I have tried. Maybe I haven't been successful. <laughs> Just kidding. Where Andy, where does someone go to get that discount? Yeah, you go to Flip Belt online. You'll be able to just if you just, just search type Flip Belt and you'll be there. Magically. It's a product, and they have their own website, so you should be able to find Flip Belt. And when you check out, use code ATOZ Running Twenty for your discount. Now let's get on to the main topic. Well, as previewed, we've got a podcast guest here today who's going to be talking about some really high-level performance stuff that happens to also have something to do with some of our recent content. And so we were talking not long ago about how to train by effort. And that's an episode that garnered quite a bit of attention as well as quite a bit of response, which we always appreciate sharing your own experiences and thoughts with those things. Well, Andy pursued the topic further with pro marathoner Lindsay Flanagan and got some insights into her own experiences on that note. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason we want to talk about this, not only is that something we want to be able to develop as intuitive running, but also because sometimes you don't have great feedback during a race. Sometimes you're not seeing the clock, your GPS is going wonky, maybe there's no pace group around you and you're running solo and you have to completely dial in and listen to your body. Well, you want to be prepared for that. And we love that Lindsay Flanagan is coming on the show today to discuss this in a very recent marathon PR in Paris. A little about our guest, Lindsay Flanagan. Lindsay is a pro runner and coach. She's been in the sport for 16 years and has continued to progress in the sport. She's posted several top 10 finishes at USATF championships, including runner-up at the 2021 15K championships. Lindsay is currently sponsored by ASICS and trains in Colorado. In Lindsay's most recent marathon, as mentioned, she ran a lifetime PR of, get this, 2.26.54, which we will discuss on today's show. So let's get to talking to Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast. We are so glad to have you. How have you been since we met at the 25K Championships? Well, hello. Thank you for having me. And I have been good. I am gearing up for a summer marathon, which is a little bit different for me, but uh, I'm, I'm doing good and I'm having fun uh, with my training. Yeah. So what one are you doing? If you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience. I am running the Gold Coast Marathon on July 3rd, and it is in Australia. It'll be my first time over there. It is a very long travel, but I am really excited for it. Yeah, that should be really exciting. And I've been doing some like research on you, as I do, and I, I heard that your coach is from there. Can you tell us about this new coach that you have? Yes, I'm coached by Benita Willis. She is fantastic. She lives over in Australia. And when she was competing, she lived in uh, Boulder for a while. So we have that connection. That's where I live now. But she's incredible. You know, she's run everything from like a 221 marathon. She's run, you know, like 14 something in the 5K. Like she's so knowledgeable. And I had never, you know, I had, I knew that I knew about this race, like, you know, years ago, I heard there was a half marathon over there, but she's the one that was like, wow, you really need to get over here and do this marathon. It's a cool opportunity. So um, I really thank her for kind of planting the seed. And uh, it's cool that we will finally meet in person um, just in a couple of weeks. So yeah, that's really exciting. So Zach's coach lives in New Zealand, Barry mm. McGee. And so if, you know, this race, if you recommend this course, maybe that would be an easy place for us to actually meet him. So we're going to have to like get your race review afterwards to see how you like that course. Cause that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it's very flat. I've heard it's fast. It starts at 6am. So I think the weather tends to be like on the cooler side. So I will definitely send a report back after it is over. Awesome. Thanks. So today we're going to talk about effort. We've been talking about it on the podcast for a little bit here. And I think it's so important for us to be able to be intuitive runners. And recently, congratulations, Paris Marathon, running a 226 so fast. Um, you had to run by effort. And I know our audience would absolutely love to hear from you how that race went and how effort that component you had to dial that in. Yeah. So I, I was lucky. I got to, you know, run the Paris marathon this year. Very cool. Um, but, uh, so we started the race and I quickly realized there were no clocks on the course, you know, at all. And I think that that's when you race in the U S like you're, you know, you always get your mile splits and things like that, but you know, we're, we're running along and I'm noticing, you know, there's, there's nothing out there. So I was like, all right, well, 
noted. I'm going to have to, you know, just kind of listen to my body. And then also when you're running in a, a big city, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this in major marathons, you know, your G, your GPS watch does not work. And Paris was unique because a lot of it, um, you would kind of be running and we would go into these underground tunnels, which when that happens, there's, there's no GPS. So it was, it was one of those situations where I didn't know what pace I was running. I didn't have any clocks on the course. Like my watch was going crazy. And it was, it was the first time I really, you know, I, I do run by effort quite a lot, but this was the first time in a marathon. I actually had to be like, wow, okay, does this feel like the effort that I'm going to be able to sustain for, you know, two plus hours? And it was a lot of, you know, checking in with myself, you know, seeing how I was feeling, um, kind of, I feel like every 5k, which is where we kind of take our fluids, I would be like, okay, I got my bottle. Like, how am I feeling? You kind of do this, you know, assessment, but that was very different for me because normally, you know, I'm seeing the clots, I'm seeing the 5k splits, I'm seeing, you know, my watch splits and you kind of in your head are, I think sometimes it's, it's not actually great. You're gauging your effort off that. You're like, oh, well, this is the pace I'm supposed to run. So I'm going to keep doing it. And I think sometimes, you know, it's better actually to be like, oh, like I don't actually know the pace. I'm just doing exactly what my body needs. So I think that that was, that was really good. And Paris was also a pretty hilly course. So it was a lot of me being like, okay, you know, I'm going uphill and I'm probably slowing down, but it's all about maintaining the effort. And then you get that back on the downhill. So I think on a hilly course too, and I'm sure a lot of people that ran Boston can relate to this. It, it's a lot of effort-based running because you can't really run even splits on a course like that. It's a lot of like maintain on the up, kind of get it back on the down and just kind of, you know, roll with it and see how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so exciting to hear you talk about it because there are so many variables and they can add interest and excitement to our race experience, but knowing how to run and feel the effort and be intuitive about what we can handle is so important. You said something about an assessment. What does that look like? More like, okay, upper body, like, am I relaxed? Like, are my legs, like, do I feel okay? Like, am I running at like, you know, a cadence that like feels normal to me? Or am I like really late? It's like my breathing labored or my legs really heavy. And like in a marathon, you're going to have, you know, really good patches and bad patches. So I think we do a lot of self-assessment the whole time. But for me, like kind of having those 5k checkpoints to do it was big. And, and it's really, for me, it's a lot about like, kind of like checking in with the lower legs, big, okay. Like how are my quads? Like, like hamstrings, especially on a hilly course where your quads are going to take a beating. I think I had to really think about that a lot and like how much energy I was exerting on the downhills. Like I love, I love running downhill and I pride myself in being a good downhill runner, but you can also get carried away on the downhills because like, oh, this is fun and I want to feel fast. So I kept being like, okay, like, am I, do I feel like this is, you know, am I surging? Cause I don't really want to surge. I just need to kind of keep a level effort on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the head to toe assessment, the quads. That's definitely a good one. Do I need to preserve my quads? Um, <laughs> You know, yes. am I already spending too much in that arena? That's, that's really good. And this is something you also do in your training when you do your harder, long efforts. It is. Well, I actually train at altitude. So a lot of that is obviously I have paces that my coach gives me, but you, you have to be careful. Like if you go out too hard at altitude, like you, you very much suffer. I mean, that happens anywhere, but especially when it's hot out and you're at altitude. So a lot of it is, I find that a lot of times I need to ease into it. So maybe the first like couple miles of a long tempo are like not even close to like that goal pace. But I find by 
like listening to my body and not like out the gate trying to hit that pace. I actually close way better and, you know, average the bit the same time I'm supposed to. But for me, like, I think it's better, like, not to freak out when you see your watch that you might be starting a little bit slower because I think back to my most successful races and I've always had a more conservative start and have been able to pick it up. And it's way more fun when you're in that position in a marathon, being the one that's catching people as opposed to people catching you. So I've learned a lot that it doesn't have to be this perfect pace right out the gate, like better to listen to your body, ease into it. And then again, you'll always run faster later on if you've done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, specifically going back to the race, how did you in the race when you're obviously you've been doing this a long time, 16 years of competitive running, but when you're in the race and from what I heard, you didn't have people around you to help keep the energy and you're pressing this effort, a race effort, in fact, a PR effort. How did you keep the press? How did you keep the effort what it needed to be? Yeah, I think, well, for me, I do end up doing, you know, a lot of longer workouts by myself. And I think a lot of people do that. Like you're out there early, like, you know, everyone has different time constraints. So I just kind of kept telling myself, like, you do this all the time. Like, it's not glamorous. You don't have like a cheer squad out there normally. So if you could do that, you know, at practice, like you can do it here. So I kind of reminded myself of that. And Paris is a great marathon. It's, I didn't know ahead of time, but it's um, huge. I mean, it's comparable to like a New York city. So I think just like taking in the energy of the crowds and you're just like, okay, I'm going to just use that to fuel this effort um, is kind of what I did. And you get really good at like little mental tricks and be like, oh, they're, they're cheering just for me. Like, this is so exciting. So I think as like cheesy as that is, uh, you just, you kind of have to use everything when you're out there. Yeah. True confession. I've actually pretended that people were saying my name instead of other people's name before. So this is like true confession. I just will pretend that they're there to cheer for me. <laughs> exactly. Especially in a race where like, you don't actually know anybody. You're like, I'm going to just, I'm going to tell myself whatever I need to, to get me through this. So, uh-huh. Yep. Got to do that. And I think it's great too, to be able to have that self-talk be positive. Obviously you have a lot of self-talk when you're there alone for many, many miles. We had like a very small little group, um, for a couple of miles, but then, uh, very quickly, like the pace was too fast. So about mile eight, I started running by myself and then I realized when I wasn't seeing anybody, just how long of a race I had to go by myself. And the thought of like, oh my gosh, I think I'm gonna have to do, you know, 18 miles by myself. So I could have freaked out or I could have just been like, all right, we're going to roll with it. And so it was one of those days where you just had to be positive and you're like, okay, I'm just going to roll with it. And, you know, hopefully those people that went out really hard, I'm going to be the one catching them and gaining momentum, which is what ended up happening, which was really cool. So I'm glad that I didn't freak out when at mile eight, it started to get really hard because that's very early on to, uh, you know, to be feeling kind of that way. Mm -hmm. So you had to make a hard decision in that race. Did you yes. go through that scenario? Uh, like that decision that was hard. So how did you make that decision? Yeah, I think ahead of time I had, uh, you know, they went through pacers ahead of, 
you know, the day before the race and, you know, the, the main pacer was going to go out. I think if they went out in maybe 68 or 69 and I knew that that's, you know, that's too fast. That's like what I run my flat out half marathon. in. so I knew that going in, like talking to my coach, there was a strong possibility I would be running alone because a lot of people probably were going to go with that pace. So I think, um, kind of before the race, if you kind of give yourself a couple different scenarios that might play out, um, you don't really freak out as much because you're like, okay, I kind of thought this might happen. So now I just need to, you know, stay within myself and run my own race at this point. Mm-hmm. And you were able to do that because you knew that that effort there, that, um, effort was too hard when you were running that the eight with those ladies and to make that decision, to know that that was a possibility and then to simmer it down and then end up ha- running a PR marathon, uh, was, was a really intelligent way to run, but also because you've, you know, yourself well enough, you've found what effort is appropriate for you, uh, for the marathon distance. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you're in a race, let's say it's a championship race. You're not really running you're running, you're running for a position. So sometimes the efforts were, will vary to stay in the race. How do you approach a championship race and monitoring your effort and what you're capable of? Yeah. So a championship race is, it, it's always a little different because, you know, you're not trying to run this even pace. Like there's going to be surges. And we saw that in Boston this year where, you know, the ladies, I think it was very early on dropped like a five minute mile. And a lot of people assessed the effort and said like, wow, that's too hard. I need to scale it back a little bit. But I think that in a championship, you do have to be smart though, because like I said, if you're running at mile five is a five minute mile. That's for me, at least that's in a lot of people, that's way too fast for a middle of a marathon. So I think in those instances, you do also have to have confidence in your training being like, okay, if I dial it back a little bit now, like I know that I have the legs to pick it up later on. So it is, it it makes it harder in those situations because you want to be competitive, but we kind of saw the ladies in Boston that, you know, kind of toned it back, ended up finishing very, very well. So that was just like a great example of being like, okay, assess that effort. That's, that's not marathon pace. And then scaling it back, you ended up having a really great day later on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the scenario of holding back enough or holding back because you know that the effort might be too strong for that point in the race. It's not sustainable. Let's talk about the other way where you're running a race and feedback is telling you that your effort should be higher than it actually is. And it's a great day. Is there a time where you're like, I'm not afraid of this. I'm going to just like go for it. How do you gauge a good day and challenging limits that you haven't been at before? Yeah. I mean, I think when like your legs are feeling good and you've like, maybe you get through the first couple miles of race, maybe it's even a half marathon and you're like, okay, I feel good. Like this is the day that I'm going to, you know, really push it. I think that you do have to capitalize on those days because they don't happen that often. Like I can count on like one hand, the, the magical races I've had where you feel amazing. So I think when that does happen, you're like, okay, this is a good day. I got to roll with it. So instead of like immediately sprinting away, I think you just kind of gradually start picking up the pace. And, and like I said, the, the races that I've kind of started a little slower, I've been able to close super well. And, and those are the days you, you know, you feel good too. So I think, yeah, like gradually picking it up, like you got to roll with it those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be unafraid to be able to be intuitive enough with ourselves to know this is within my wheelhouse. 
I am confident that I can do this because I have built my fitness and I know what this effort is to me and how long I can sustain it. Uh, yeah, those are some really good, good points there. Now, how about training? And there's this conversation always about, about easy runs. And, you know, I, I know it's, it might be overspoken about, but I think it's such an imperative conversation. And I had listened to a podcast that you were on and I heard you say like, sometimes you just got to leave your watch behind or don't look at it, make it be like the time of day instead. Can you talk us through why it's important to have good recovery? And I know you talked to your athletes about this too. So would you mind sharing with the audience? Yes, of course. So I think that I learned the hard way. Um, I look, I think back in college and like, Every day I thought that I needed to put in like this really great effort if I wanted to be, you know, a really good runner. So, you know, you go out, like it was the era where we first all got our first GPS watches and you would love, you would obsess over it. Like, oh my gosh, if I'm not running like sub seven minute pace on an easy run, like it doesn't even count. And I actually just learned that, that, that really didn't make me faster. I was never absorbing my workouts because I was always just kind of writing this, you know, line of, I felt like I just needed to have this like really good effort every single day. So I ended up always just like really frustrated with the braces because I never felt like they were going, you know, the way that my training was. So I think it was once I graduated and, you know, started to, you know, learn more and mature, I realized that running slower wasn't actually making me slower. And I, right after I graduated, I, I trained with a lot of Ethiopian athletes and they really taught me that, I mean, we would go for these jogs in the afternoon and sometimes it was like 10 minute miles. And these are women that are just incredible athletes. And I was like, wow, like if they're taking their recovery this seriously, obviously I need to too. So that was just like this huge learning experience where I'm like, wow, like if I just slow it down on those days, like my hard sessions are going to be so much better quality and my races are going to be even better too. So I'm really lucky that I learned that like really early on, like early twenties. And that's something that to this day, I, I still do. Like if it's a recovery run, it, you like my athletes ask me all the time, like, should I try and hit a certain pace? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like you should just run by feel like the, really the main thing is like, you want to feel like you're holding it. You could, you could talk to somebody the entire time. And if, if you're out there and you feel like you're not, or you're going into tempo effort, like that is, that's a no go. So I think, uh, yeah, like scaling the effort back, like not looking at the watch, not trying to get the Strava crown on the easy run, I think is a huge one. I get athletes all the time. They're like, but I wanted the crown today. I was like, no, today was not a crown day. Like, let's just maybe try that on like the workout day. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And I think when you're, you know, in marathon training, or if you're running high mileage, like you just realize like you can't, you know, sprint every day. You've got to have those recovery days. And, and like I said, the, the workouts are so much better quality when you do that. And, and the workouts are really what help you run, you know, well. So I think if you prioritize that, then you'll be, you know, good to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have the same philosophy too, that I heard you speak on another podcast about, and that's that, you know, growing that volume, it's, only going to be able to happen if you're able to slow down because a lot of people are running their maximum capacity, you know, and not being able to recover. So then they feel bad all the time. And so they're not able to grow their volume, which in turn will help grow their aerobic fitness. And then they'll be able to see some great gains. And it's just hard sometimes to wrap the mind around it. And so it's super valuable for us to hear from a professional runner like you that says it's okay to run 
easy and slow on your easy or recovery days because there's a purpose. There's a purpose to it. And um, I, yeah, I think it's extremely valuable to hear from you. So you talked us through a little bit of what that journey was like for you as uh, being such a successful road runner. When you go into races, do you talk through what the effort is going to feel like or what it could feel like depending on variables? So like, let's say, you know, a course like the Olympic trials was super hilly and uh, windy that day. Do you talk through what the effort will feel like at different stages? Yeah, I think you, you do. I think that like, obviously for me, like you just have to be, if you're in a race like that, it's like just more so like that first 10 K you just want to make sure you don't gas yourself, especially on like a hilly windy day. So I think kind of like assessing before and being like, okay, so how do I need to feel like during this stage? Like maybe I'm, I don't feel great, but like, do I feel like I have, you know, the legs to, you know, carry on. So I think, especially on like days that are like very hot, which is something I struggle with, they're very windy. Um, you do, you have to like kind of decide ahead of time. Um, and also during the race, like, okay, how am I feeling? Is this something that I'm going to be able to sustain? Um, and I think if you take like that approach, um, and really try and assess how you're feeling that first 10 K you'll probably have a, a good later stage of the race. Cause we've all had marathons where the last 10 K were just, was just really ugly. And it's uh, way better to not have that experience. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to bring it full circle with Paris again. And I know you've had so many good races, but it's super recent, you know, so it, I, and I was really impressed by it. So that's another reason. And I want to hear personally what you were going through uh, how was the final stages? Cause I know you said the first eight miles were fast and then mm -hmm. what was the rest of the race like for you? So I would say the last 10 K was definitely the hardest. And a lot of that was because it was, um, the hilliest part of the course, but it was also on cobblestone. So that like when your legs are already that tired, um, and you're running over like very uneven, terrain um it, it just makes it a little bit harder so I think the whole time like there's a couple times I almost like laughed because I was like oh my gosh this is just like so difficult and I didn't know it was going to be like this um so yeah I would say that last 10k was was really hard but during that um kind of phase I think during the last two miles I passed like maybe even like four people so it was fun to be the person passing each other because I could see like how many people were like the course and everything and the, the hot pace like took a toll on people so um last 10k was incredibly difficult um you know physically but mentally it was it was kind of fun because you're like oh I'm gaining momentum I'm like I'm not speeding up but I am passing people so you feel kind of that like jolt of excitement so I think that that kind of helps uh, carry me on. And I didn't even know what place I was at that point, but I was like, okay, every person matters in a race like this. So you just kind of keep chipping away. And then finally we make like the final turn on the, uh, the cobblestone road. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I see a 26 on the clock. And then I was like, oh, I really do. And so that was kind of a fun moment. Mm -hmm. Did you have any idea that you're running that fast? No, I didn't. I, um, I, I thought it was much slower. I was like, oh, you know, based on how this is, like, I'm, I'm not really sure what this clock is going to show. And then, uh, yeah, I, I could see it in the distance and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is a 26. That's not a 28. And then I was really excited because I was like, oh, like that was a very hard race. And to run a PR, I was very, very happy with that. Yeah. And how much of a PR What was your PR before Paris? My PR before was from Chicago, 2019. I ran like 228, maybe 12. So it was a, 
a minute and 15 seconds or so, which I will take. I mean, in a marathon, I'll take, I'll even take two seconds. Like you want anything at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been marathoning? Um, I think I, I ran my first marathon in 2015, um, in Houston actually. So it's been oh, seven years of marathons and I think that might've been number 12. So I have done quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really neat to be such a long time runner and get such a big PR that is big, especially when you get down to those fast of times, it's really big. Um, so congratulations on that. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, it was, yeah. it was exciting. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I ran Chicago in the fall. It was very hot. Uh, so didn't have a great day there. So I was like, oh, I just needed like a, a little bit of like a redemptive race at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And first American in the entire race. That's so exciting. Um, and then what were you overall? You were in the top overall too. What was it? Yeah, I was, I was 10th. So um, tenth, to be, okay. uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was a super stag race. I think I was ranked like 20th going in. So, um, to finish 10th, I was pretty happy with that. So Lindsay, did you expect to run such a strong race without any feedback from clocks? Yeah. I mean, it definitely was a surprise. I've never, you know, run a race like that. Like even in a championship race, like you're still getting clocks or feedback or there's even people around you that you can kind of gauge, um, off of. So no, I, I think that I didn't really expect that, but, uh, it gave me a lot of confidence kind of going forward when I do have maybe a few more variables, um, out there and a few more, you know, uh, feedback mechanisms that, uh, that maybe I'll feel even better, or maybe that's just the way I should race. Just kind of always just be listening to my body and not obsessing over those things. Mm-hmm. Well, it did turn out great for you. And as I think of like all the things that could go wrong, for instance, like in Chicago, a lot of people run Chicago. So that's a good frame of reference that the GPS does not work in Chicago. And sometimes you do get disconnected from whatever pace group you are in, or you're just not seeing the clock for some reason. Maybe you're like in the thick of it and you just don't see it. And to be able to dial into that effort, I think is so important and so keen when we're talking about intuition and getting the most out of ourselves. When you're processing this race, what things stand out to you about how it went? And were there any moments that you were questioning or that you had a hard time staying engaged? Yeah, I I do think that like after halfway was when we kind of were, um, you would start going through those underground tunnels. And for me, when it's, when I'm running in the dark, I feel like I'm running very fast, but I'm actually not. So I think I realized when I'm going to these tunnels, I was like, oh no, I'm like slowing down like quite a bit every time we go into one of these. Cause I just didn't have a lot of, you know, perception of what was going on. So I, I do think that I look at kind of that second half of the race. And I, I do think there are a lot of things I could have, you know, improved upon, or maybe could have tried to stay more engaged during that. Because also when you're going into these tunnels, you don't even have the crowds at that point because you're, you know, underground. So I did struggle. I think it was from like, you know, 30 to 35 K. I think I had a pretty rough patch, but, uh, processing it. Um, I, I think that that's definitely where I could have improved, but I also don't know how much, if I could have really done anything different, you know, in a situation like that. I think that being able to go through and have the mental strength, you had mentioned a couple of things. I know this isn't exactly a topic, but you had mentioned a couple of things in preparation. One, you do some workouts 
alone and have to focus. Mm -hmm. How do you cultivate that focus in your training besides running alone? Yeah. I mean, I also just think like, you know, as runners, we all like really dialed into like, you know, the, the workout and things like that. But, but yeah, for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty focused. Like I listen to like a lot of podcasts and music when I'm running, but on a workout day, like absolutely not. Like I'm always just like listening to my breathing, listening to things like that. So I think I've taught myself to focus that way where I know, I mean, listening to music stuff is great for a lot of people when they're working out. But for me, it doesn't, it doesn't work because I have to, I did it like once and it didn't go well. So I'm like, I ha- I'm someone who like has to focus on like, you know, the task at hand. So I think that's how I do it where it's, you wish you kind of had a distraction, but you force yourself not to be distracted. And it may not be the most fun way to do a workout, but I really do think it is, you know, beneficial. We talked about to Mario Mendoza. He's an ultra guy. He had the world record on the treadmill and stuff. And we talked about having there be times where you have to hone in on your focus because we have to grow that as distance runners. And if we're listening to stuff and we're like distracted, so to speak, then it's kind of hard to listen to our bodies on those harder effort days, easy days doesn't really matter quite as much, but when we're trying to focus, I really, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that's something that could be a takeaway for a lot of people who want to level up in their running, to have more intentional, more focused, more intuitive runs where we're really focusing on how we are feeling, how our form is talked about having tension. I think you said something about having tension in your upper body. Like, am I, am I holding tension in these places? How's, how are these things going? Is there anything else that's part of that checklist for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, and then also you're always kind of checking in. Like I said, I feel like this is just the marathon of me. Like, how are my legs feeling? But also not like obsessing over that because you know that, you know, when you first start, you're not going to, for at least for me, like, I don't feel that great for a first couple, you know, reps or miles and you always kind of start getting better later on. So I'm kind of assessing how you feel in the beginning, the legs, but just like also having like the confidence to know that like that, that, you know, you'll find this rhythm as you kind of keep going. Do you hold tension anywhere? Like, do you ever notice, I guess for me, like when I am going into a high stake situation or what I perceive as high stake situation, my body tends to tense up more and things might feel harder than they should, or my, my breathing isn't as regular as it normally would be because it's high stakes. Do you struggle with any of that? And how, and if you do, how do you, how do you work through it? Yeah. I think for me, it's like my upper back and my shoulders to the point where like after a marathon, the thing that's sometimes is so sore is my arms. And I'm like, that should not be the case. Like my arms should not be sore from like the marathon. But I think like if when you caught, when like you actually are like, okay, lower your shoulders away from your ears and just like relax your arms. It's just something so simple. But if I like remind myself that I'm like, oh, okay. I immediately feel a lot better. Like, no, my breathing feels more natural. Like I'm not, you know, you know, super tense and tight. So for me, yeah, it's always the upper body. And, and I think I learned that when I was having like very sore arms and shoulders after the marathon. Yeah. That's the thing that probably you wouldn't expect to be sore. Yeah. You're like, it should be the legs. And of course the legs are sore. You're like, I really don't know why my arms are, you know, so sore. So <laughs> that's great. 
So Lindsay, as we wrap up this conversation, what would you like to encourage the listeners with when it comes to being intuitive and listening to your body? Don't be discouraged if, you know, right away, like you're running and you're like, oh my gosh, this feels, you know, way harder. And I'm not even on pace. Like you need to ease into those types of races. People that are in mass starts, like you're standing for maybe an hour before you even take off. So you might not feel great at first, but I think like just being calm and knowing that, okay, just ride this out for a little bit and having the confidence to know like you've done the training and that as you get into things, like it's going to come along. So just listen to your body and don't, you know, gas yourself that first 10K, like focus on having a really great final 10K and you'll be so much happier that you did that. And really like the momentum you get from like picking up the pace and passing people, like it's, it's such a fun feeling and everyone should experience that. So I think if you listen to yourself early on, like you'll, you'll have that kind of happen. in the end. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting and it's fun. And that momentum, like you were mentioning that momentum, it builds better if you're able to roll it out slowly and get going. So that that's a really good piece of advice. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm sure that all of our, uh, all of our listeners want to hear. So what, what's next after, after your marathon in Australia? Do you, do you I have am, anything on the calendar? <laughs> I do. Well, I'm going to take a really nice break. Um, I'm going to stay in Australia for a week after I do a little bit of traveling. And then um, my sister's running the wine and shine half in Napa. So I'm going to go as a spectator and um, we're going to have a fun weekend down there. And then I am going to be uh, changing gears and gearing up for a fall marathon. So I'm excited for that too. Yes. Awesome. Well, we'll keep our audience up to date. We always do. They've heard your name multiple times in the show because you're always, you know, one of the top finishers at road racing circuit. So, uh, we've appreciated your time today here, Lindsay, and thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for having me. And it was, it was great to catch up. It's been a while. So today I hope we answered the question. Can you run great times and have great races without feedback? And the answer is yes, because you're getting internal feedback and you're developing that on the run. I also really appreciated what Lindsay said about recovery days. Running slow doesn't make you slow. She said that, and I really appreciated that because we have to talk about how we can run easy, let go of the watch in those instances especially, and just run what we need to run for the day. And running slow on recovery days, running slower than you think you should for easy days, doesn't mean that you're slow. Also running slow during like building phases. And there's there's certain times that it is important to run slow. Mm Mm-hmm. Contrary to what Emil Zatopek was most famous for saying, where he basically said, you know, you know, the famous (laughs) quote, um, why run slow? Why train slow when you're trying to race fast or essentially like that? You know, the, the quote has something why. to do with We've training fast. We've discussed a lot fast. about why yeah. that is the case. And we love that Lindsay, who runs at the top of U.S. female distance running. In fact, she is in these marathons like Paris, where she places so well. I think she was ninth in that race and then first American. She places globally and she is able to give herself what her body needs and her training needs. And then, of course, all of this helps develop that intuition as a runner. So thank you, Lindsay, for joining us on the podcast today. Well, with that, let's get on to the world of running. First up in the world of running, let's give a few A to Z runner shout outs for some performances over the weekend. At the LPGA 5K, Jacob and Kelly both ran and in strong performances, Jacob would have been a PR if it 
It was a little was short. Yeah. <laughs> totally accurate course. Um, and Kelly won her age group. Yeah, and nice ran a really work. strong 5K, too. Good stuff. Yeah. Then over in the light point 5K, Mark also won his age group, which was an Congrats, excellent Mark. result. And uh, thanks, Andrew, for putting that on. And then Lewis paced the Charlevoix Marathon, had a good showing there. And Chad competed in the Tahoe 200. Whew. 200 like as in 200 miles, miles. Mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. 50,000 feet of climbing in the mountains. Amazing. Incredible. Nice work, everyone. Yeah. Now let's talk about some world of running news. We have Bizlet in Oslo, the Diamond League Championships. Not the championships, just the Diamond League. Diamond League. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> part of the Diamond League series. I yeah. It's one of the one of the big one ones. One of yeah. the big ones. Now, the conditions didn't seem to be conducive for running fast times. It was rainy. In fact, during the 5,000, which we're going to talk about because it was astounding, it was downpouring during part of that. But it was 60s and there wasn't much wind. So it was kind of like it could have been too hot. You know, there's lots of there's lots of variables. You could also tell by watching the women who is more just used to running in the rain by their faces. So like some, their faces were like scrunched, yeah. like super tense and uh, just constantly wiping their face, you know, getting the, the water out of their eyes, which of course you definitely need to do because otherwise they're literally just getting water in their eyes. But then you saw some like uh, Grofdal from Norway who just looked chill and relaxed. Chill. Like the, the rain didn't phase her at all. We'll talk about it. Let's actually like talk through these athletes Let's do because it. there were some tremendous performances. Dewitt Siam of Ethiopia won the event in 1425.84. In the pouring rain. That might be a pouring rain world record. It might be. So she's moved up in distance. She's been known as a middle distance specialist and mm. her global medals actually have been all in 1500 meter runs. So it's no surprise though that in the final stages of this race, she would have had the closing speed. So all she had to do was really like hang on and race well. And then she had such great closing speed. And then second was multiple time medalist, Godaf Sagay of Ethiopia. And mm. she was one who had the the kind of angry look a little bit. Oh, Not yeah. angry. I mean, I would look that way too. Just tense. You, just fur- yeah, just you know, tense furrow your brows rain, and yep. everything. Tense from the rain. That's a good way to put it. She ran 1426.69. And third was Letezabet Gede, also of Ethiopia. So the top three were from Ethiopia. She ran 1426.92. She's, of course, on the world of running all the time. She's both the 5,000 and 10,000 meter record holders and she also on the road has the half marathon and 15k world records yeah and now this is interesting so you've been seeing the ethiopians doing a lot of head-to-head-to-head racing lately um and that's because the ethiopian national team is decided not by like a single event although like in the 10,000, it's kind of by a single event but really ultimately it's about how well they perform against each other throughout the season so this is why you see like Gide and uh, Gudaf Sige have been racing each other actually quite a bit mm. um, at these Diamond Leagues. And it's because they need to get in as many strong performances as they can to be selected for the team. Yeah. And it produces some really exciting some races. Fast times. Yeah. <laughs> some fast yeah. times. And the exciting thing is that there were more personal bests within this race. And those were not, I'm sorry, those were not personal bests, except no. for um, except for our first place finisher. I believe that that one was a, a uh, but I'm not sure. So I'll fact check that. Double check that. Yep. So Caroline Bajakelli. Grovdal. Grovdal led the race once the rabbit dropped. And like Zach said, she was very composed. 
Now, she didn't win, but she did earn herself a 12-second personal best of 1431. She's 32 years old, and she broke her uh, country's record. National so, record for national Norway. Record. Mm-hmm. Ingrid Christensen's, uh, and that had been like a 36-year-old record. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible performance. And more to it, she would have won that race if she had the kind of finishing speed that these other women had. Yeah. She just she just couldn't hack it when it came down to the final sprint stuff. And but, she finished in a, a battle with our podcast guest and one we love to follow, Alicia Munson of the USA, part of the On Athletics Club, coached by Dathan Ritzenhine. Now, Alicia ran 14 31.11 and climbed to number three on the all-time U.S. list. Wow. And yes. a big PR for Huge her Huge PR. Well. Previous PR was 14.42. So nice. that was very impressive. And, of course, you know, she did, did really well in this super stacked race. In fact, she beat former 10,000 world record holder Almaziana. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Ayana was in there from Ethiopia. Yeah. So super strong running from Munson. She was within striking distance, and she was strong the whole time. So it was really cool to see her getting her nose in that competition of such strong women. And I did want to give you a little update. This week is USA's, and she won't be running the 5,000, even though she has the third fastest time in U.S. history, because she has also been chosen for the 10,000, as you remember, from the 10,000 championships. So she is going to be focusing, dialing in, and becoming super competitive for the world stage when it comes to worlds mm-hmm. later on this summer. So she's made that choice to to hopefully give us all a thrill uh, at the world championships later on. I did want to mention who she's in leagues with now because we always like to bring back the runners who many of you know the names of. Number one on the U.S. all-time list is Shelby Houlihan, 1423.92. And then Krista Schweitzer of the USA. Well, these are all US. 1426.34. And then and it's the Alicia. Two of them, the two of them did that in a time trial event that was like the, only was, their team. Yeah, but it was like it was during COVID. It was uh, July 10th of 2020. Yeah. So if you recall, everyone was talking about that as like they basically just set up the best possible scenario for running as fast as they could in times. Um, and so for Munson to do this in a, a race environment, which was not rain. ideal conditions, <laughs> like that speaks volumes about what she just did performance wise. Right. Because otherwise, the next best time is an indoor, which is, you know, indoor is controlled conditions, mm-hmm. which many talk about indoor as being potentially faster than outdoor in terms of just the track. And that's the least cranny. And then after that is Shannon Rowbury. Right. Which, you know, so like she she put on seven seconds on Shannon Rowbury's time, which was yeah. an incredible performance itself as She's well. She's a legendary runner. And I, like, I do kind of want to say, like, Alicia Munson's in the mix with these Bowerman track people. Oh, yeah. And I just want to make sure that we recognize how amazing the OAC is. I know we mentioned yeah. it a few times on this podcast, but they are ones to watch. And super, super cool that we've had Dathan on the show a couple of times talking about his strategies as a coach and a performer himself. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the men's mile, which was also an exciting race. Yeah, it was called the Dream Mile. Well, I mean, you got to give it something. Some kind so of fancy dreamy. name so people will run fast. So Jakob Ingebrigtsen was once again in top form, showing the world that he's the guy to beat. 
and we always enjoy seeing how that kind of a race unfolds. And they were talking, I found it interesting as they were discussing during the race, what kind of race he likes to run. Um, I did not at all agree with them as they were talking uh -oh. about it. So they were like, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, Jacob Ingebrigtsen likes to run a middle race kind of race where he's powering hard through the middle. And when he's doing like fast time trial performance type of stuff, that's true. That is the way he likes to race. But when it comes to championship stuff, he never controls the race. He always hangs out in the lead and then waits until someone starts making moves and then he just punishes them for their moves. So like I'm listening to the announcers and I'm like, okay, so in, there's two different types of races here. When you want to just run a fast time or when you want to just win a race and he can do all of it. Right. He just does whatever and it takes. And also when he has like recently been way out in front, it's like, okay, just it sounds, solo running, it sounds yeah. like he's hammering the middle, but that he has another gear at the end most likely that he's not using Always, because yeah. he's not being challenged. So even though he hammers the middle, I believe that he has that closing speed as we've yeah. seen yeah. in multiple occasions. It's been proven time and time again. So but, they said. So, yeah. So they said. What they said mean? it was the fastest oh. mile time. In the last 21 yes, years. Yes. Amazing. Now, he didn't hit his goal, however. I don't know mm -hmm. if he had announced his goal or people are just kind of speculating on his goals, but he was shy of breaking Steve Cram's European mile world, or sorry, European mile record of 346.32. So he ran 346.46. So just so, shy. Just shy. Uh, you know, 1400s or something like that. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, Steve Cram himself was announcing the oh, race. Cool. So that, I know he uh, does announce a lot of races. I'm pretty sure he was on there because That's they were neat. asking him cool. about things. Um, one of the funny things is they're talking about is the way Steve Cram ran that record was a very different kind of race than the way Inga Brixton ran his time here. Um, and so it was just kind of the comparison was interesting. To yeah. Me. So watch it. It's You can yeah. find it for free. Um, it, We're going to post it on AtoZRunning.com. It is also the first time since Alan Webb in 2007 ran 346.9, the first time someone's gone under 347 in a full mile. Yeah. Um, which we mentioned in the last 21 years, the fastest time. That's really just – these are incredible things. And also you can just realize how amazing Alan Webb is. Yeah, Let's right. Let's just take that a moment race to realize just, just so good. our American record holder is pretty, pretty amazing, <laughs> super legit. Faster than Jacob Ingebrigtsen. So who else was around in the race? Because it sounds like we're just talking about Ingebrigtsen, but he was not alone. No, and, and might was not be doing that part solo. Part of the reason, actually, I'm sure, part of the reason he's able to Absolutely. achieve what he did in this race is because he was challenged. Challenged vigorously. Vigorously by none other than our previous podcast guest, Oliver Hoare, also of the OAC, coached by Dathan Ritzenhain. So you had... Ozzy Ali Hoare, yes. as well as Britt Jake Whiteman mm -hmm. in the mix, really throwing down some aggressive racing, yeah. which was just so much fun to Couldn't see. Couldn't shake those speedy guys. Yep. And Oliver clocked a time of 347.48 to take almost a second off of Stuart McSweeney's Australian record. And not just an Australian record, an Oceania area record at that. Yes, yes. Yep. And then Whiteman ran a Scottish outdoor record of 350.30. Excellent. So, and I, I apologize. I did call him a Brit. Really, truly, he is a Scot and part of Great Britain. But how dare anyway, you. yes. So yeah, Whiteman's record impressive for the Scottish record. Um, you just you just don't see races like this fast and people just challenging this often lately. And so it's really exciting to see something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. That fast of a race where you have multiple people pushing and, and going for these fast times. And as you remember from a few weeks ago, there was that really funny interview with Jacob Ingebrigtsen who was like, oh, their guys aren't just showing, they're not showing up. They're not yeah, challenging right. me. Well, he got a, he got a challenge this week and it was super fun to see. And 
I know he won't be alone at the I, World Championships. I really though. would love to. I'd love to like hear like white men and horror, for instance, react to you yeah. know watch watch that interview. I'm sure that they know about it yeah. because everyone was talking about it. But watch that interview and just react to it. Yeah. What would you say back to Ingebrigtsen <laughs> right there? You got to have confidence in this industry, but it, it is uh, really fun when we can see a really strong field of runners really getting after it and having a great race. Now, that wasn't the only Diamond League run. Two days later in Paris, and this is, by the way, the way the Diamond League works. These things, because a lot of the races are in Europe and they're not terribly far apart geographically. So you'll see some races like one on a Tuesday, one on a Friday, or one on a Thursday, one on a Saturday, two different major meets. They also don't run the same focus events at each Diamond League meet. And I know we've, we've explained this in the past, but for those who are tuning in and haven't heard us talk about Diamond League terribly much, the the focus events are different. So like you have one meet where the men run the 1500 and or the 5000. In this case, it was the mile and the 5000. And then you'll have another meet where they run the, run the 800 and the 3000 steeplechase. So like they don't do the same races at every meet. As a consequence, you kind of see, uh, you see things able to be closer together, but runners are spread out more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this instance, we Women's had some steeple fun racing. Winfred Yavi soloed, okay, seriously, soloed by herself, running super strong, an 856 steeple. She wow. moves to the fourth all time in the entire world. Number four all time. And she runs for, who does she run for? Bahrain, Burundi. You're we'll, have guess, double, we'll have to double. We'll have to double check that. I didn't write that in there. My apologies. <laughs> it's not written in there. Zach, I can guessing. tell you what the flag looks like. It's It's got red with zigzags and vertical zigzags okay, and white. Anyway, all right. So, going about it. Andy's like, stop talking. <laughs> um, the point being, she ran a very fast time and she really did have to do that basically solo. Now, Yavi is not unfamiliar with running fast times in the steeplechase. She's been a threat for years now. Um, but this in particular was impressive because she had to kind of just do it alone and they kept talking about how hot it was. Yeah. Like they just kept saying it's very hot. I don't know if she can hang on. I don't know if she can hold yeah. it. And she did. So mm-hmm. that was awesome. Mm-hmm. The men's 800 was also exciting. It was so exciting. Like, amazing <laughs> That times. finish was so cool. <laughs> it was so thick of talent in the very end. In the end stretches, you didn't know who was going to win, which made it so exciting. And Especially it had a the really one... unusual winning finish, which yeah. we're going to talk about. But first off, let's just talk about how quick this race was. It was one in 143.75. New world leading time. New world leading time. Benjamin Robert. and the th- Of France. Of France. And the fun thing about this is that he was tearing down. There's a huge group of them. And he goes in between two guys to... Thread the needle. Thread, threaded the needle. Few elbows going up. But he... <laughs> He it was, was tearing it was cool. through. He literally tore through the two of so the other ones. So you have to imagine there. this for a moment because you're coming down. In the 800, the last 100 meters is just like carnage. Everyone's just dying and falling over and trying to make it to the line before they do. Um, and so in, in, you get to the last 100, and it's like whoever can hold on the most tends to win in an 800. Well, he suddenly decides to accelerate yeah. when everyone else <laughs> is collapsing, basically. And he was not very far up yet so he gets to 100 meters to go and he starts tearing through but he's like in the middle yeah. of everybody he's yeah. not on the outside he's not on the inside he's Bad right in the middle spot. so he just starts gunning past people where they're slowly spreading out to try to like get around others it, they're creating space for him except for the first two guys <laughs> who course, are side by side want you to beat them yeah well they're just they're running side by side racing each other and along comes robert 
who at, at one point, one of the guy's arms comes back and he just knocks the guy's arm out of his way, like just bashes his arm and then runs right between them. But there was, was enough space was for awesome. him to get through. So if those two guys would have been a little closer together, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't have been it. able yeah. to do it. And he wouldn't have won but there the was race. enough room yeah. for his body to get through, but well, not like his turns, arms. He like That's turns why sideways. He like, he had to do like a sideways turn to get between them, and he's running at breakneck speed. It was awesome. His face was cool and collected, you know. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention with the 5,000, Alicia Munson, who we talked to about her racing and everything um, and being calm and thinking of any situation that could possibly happen, she was super calm in the race. So I mean, her, her face, her was, face calm. was calm. Her legs were spinning like a mad also woman not running sure what was super going fast on inside her head. Exactly, but. but she, yeah, she was very cool and collected. Uh, it seems to be that a lot of the the champions do, are able to relax their face. So and, back to the eight hundred yes. meters, <laughs> because Peter Bull of Australia also in second place ran a new Oceania record of one forty four flat zero mm -hmm. zero, which was yep. very impressive. And, and I said there was a ton of people there. Seven. Men finish within the same second. Yeah. Five Love it. personal bests. And then one area record. Australian yeah. and Oceania record. Yeah. yeah. So good. Exciting times. That was a fun one. Well, let's change gears a little bit here and talk about some ultra marathoning yes. for a moment. We wanted to mention a few past guests have been uh, running some crazy stuff in the ultra world. Yeah, very impressive. At the Broken Arrow Sky Race, Mario Mendoza won, which then allowed him to win the triple crown allowed him he which is a won thing the tri triple That's crown he earned the triple crown i don't know how you fit all three on your head at the same time but he's but if you're an try. ultra guy who can run like that then you'll find a way to do it so congrats to mario mendoza that was on father's day which is super cool because ah. he is a father times two now so congratulations to mario on that and then Brittany charbonneau the funny runner was runner up at the broken arrow <laughs> sky race 52k what a funny, what a funny runner it's she just is. kind of funny because like without context if people don't know who Brittany is they're probably thinking why is Andy like calling mocking her, the funny? her like that ah, no that's her thing she's a comedian and she's a runner she won or she was a runner-up and that qualified her I don't know exactly how the standards work but either this race or a series of races Certain that allowed for her and Rankins yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly how that is uh she qualified for the world championships to represent team USA so congrats the world to ultra championships yep What's the exact distance I think it's of that in Thailand race? we'll have to we're fill gonna, you in on more yes we will that absolutely too. and most recent podcast guest dakota linworm defended her title at the grandma's marathon and nice. she ran a personal best time of 225.01 solid and that is fast and grandma's is not usually run that fast yeah it was really fast was really good yeah and she had mentioned in the podcast how she will smile. I'm, I kind of had a theme through a lot of this. Uh, she smiles during her race. We talked about a little bit about composure. I'm trying to thread this through. But she had said in her podcast interview with us, which I'll link to, about how she will smile during the race. And we talked about a winning mindset and taking your thoughts captive and turning your negative to positive to look at some challenges as opportunities. And so she did. At the Grandma's Marathon as a testament to her advice with us. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's very exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of turning challenges into opportunities, you probably have questions that have to do with training and running. And we could have answers. I mean, we'll have answers, just whether or not they're good ones or helpful ones. <laughs> You're going to yeah. have to decide that. What? Okay. So you get mad at me when I'm too arrogant. You get mad at me when I'm self-effacing. What's the, <laughs> what's the deal here? 
So anyway, we do, in fact, want to answer your questions. Is more than anything, we want to connect with you. But as we do, your questions help fuel our content. So head to a2zrunning.com slash questions to submit those and share your thoughts with us or find any of the places where you connect with our content, YouTube, comments, social medias and messages there, all that kind of stuff. And just interact. Yeah. It's and good. I'll humbly ask for you to rate and subscribe the show. Maybe share it with a friend. We'd love that's not, that's to not grow. humble. The show is good. Hey. So rate it well or don't rate it at all because you're just being mean. See what I have to put up with. <laughs> See what I have to put up with. Well, we lo- like Zach said, we really do love connecting with you. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Lindsay Flanagan, for sharing your experience with running by effort. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.